Welcome to Inside Muskegon, the podcast featuring Jason Kaisecki. Now, Inside Muskegon. Welcome to Inside Muskegon. This is episode number 13. I'm Jason Paisecki. The Inside Muskegon podcast is a weekly show featuring interviews with community leaders and comments from everyday people from Muskegon, Michigan. The goal of the podcast is to engage Muskegonites in a dialogue about the issues that affect our everyday lives. This week's show features an interview with Alan Steinman, a commentary on the interview, listener feedback, and information on contacting Inside Muskegon. Our interview this week is with Dr. Alan Steinman, the director of Grand Valley State University's Annis Water Resources Institute, which is located on Muskegon Lake in downtown Muskegon, Michigan. I'm here with Dr. Alan Steinman, the director of Grand Valley State University's Annis Water Resources Institute. Thank you for taking the time out with Inside Muskegon today. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate being here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Annis Water Resources Institute? Well, as you mentioned, it is a branch of Grand Valley State University, and we ha- our basic mission is to integrate research, outreach, and education to enhance and preserve freshwater resources. To do that, we really have three mechanisms. The first is our research efforts, and we're engaged in a wide variety of, of research throughout uh, West Michigan, the state of Michigan, the Great Lakes, and the country. In addition, we have an active outreach program which deals with giving information to elected officials, municipality leaders, uh, stakeholders in general, so that they can make the most informed decisions possible about our natural resources. And then finally, education is a major component of what we do. Share with us a little bit about your background. Well, I got my bachelor's degree from the University of Vermont. uh, My major was in botany with a minor in environmental science. I knew I was interested in environmental sciences, but I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do with that information. Uh, I spent a year as a a park ranger for the state before I decided to get my master's at the University of Rhode Island, which was in botany and oceanography, and then decided to go for my PhD uh, out in Oregon at Oregon State University. And after I obtained that, I did a postdoctoral research associate at Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Tennessee, and eventually found my way uh, in South Florida, uh, where I worked for the South Florida Water Management District and directed their ecosystem restoration projects uh, down in the Everglades and Lake Okeechobee. And I did that for about eight years uh, until the spotlight got very intense. It was a very political environment. And then we started looking for other alternatives when uh, I started losing sleep and actually uh, had a death threat, which is quite unusual for people in my field. Well, I would would say so. You wouldn't really expect that someone in uh, research and doing things for the environment. Well, it it was an interesting experience down there. And the role that I had as the director of the restoration program really was cradle to grave. So it included planning, real estate, uh, engineering, research, all those components in terms of restoring the system. And what often happened down there is that one ecosystem was pitted against another. And if you had one ecosystem that was losing and the people who survive, who were making their livelihoods off that ecosystem, anglers, fishers, ecotourists uh, were having their livelihoods impacted they looked towards the state agencies as the responsible parties, and my name was on the top of the list there, and so I was off in the lightning rod for a lot of that stuff. Very different environment down there, very contentious, very litigious 
compared to West Michigan. We're very pleased to be here. Uh, much more congenial crowd. People are taking the cradle to the grave thing much too seriously. <laughs> <down there. laughs> I like that. <laughs> uh, what, inter- <laughs> what interested you in the position here? Well, there were a couple of things. Like I said earlier, from, from a very pragmatic point of view, uh, we had decided that leaving South Florida was probably in our family's best interest uh, in terms of my own health. And so um, I started applying around the country. I was fortunate. I had a number of offers. But my wife, who comes from a small town in, in Florida, really enjoyed the Muskegon area. And frankly, I did not care where I was going. I just needed to get out of there. And the fact that she embraced this area was um, a big selling point for me. I, too, I loved it. Uh, when we came and interviewed here, the people were incredibly warm, incredibly generous. So I felt very comfortable here. The university, uh, quite honestly, I'd never heard of Grand Valley State University before I came here, let alone the Annis Water Resources Institute. But the university was very interested in turning this institute uh, into a premier research facility. And they were willing to back that up with resources, which was a very, very um, promising and interesting in- enterprise for me. You touched on a little bit earlier some of the, the broad areas that the uh, Institute is studying. What in specifically are you uh, studying here? Well, um, there's a wide variety, and I'm trying to figure out the best way to characterize that without overwhelming you. We have research scientists that are focused on uh, chemistry and some of the impacts from the past, the legacies and abuses that we've had in the, in the waters of West Michigan. So Dr. Rick Radisky, for example, looks at the contaminants in those sediments and the impacts they have on the biota. In addition, uh, Dr. Radisky and some of our other collaborators are looking at blue-green algal toxins that are released during blooms, which is a big concern here in these waters. Uh, Dr. Don Yuzarski is a wetlands ecologist, and Don is doing some of uh, some very, very interesting research that's gaining a lot of attention throughout the state in terms of looking at how beach grooming is affecting wetland ecosystem function. And beach grooming is um, very hot right now. Uh, there's some lawsuits that have been filed up in the Saginaw and Traverse area where Don's doing his research because people want to basically whack the weeds that are coming up so they can have access to the shoreline. But other people are arguing that that's very important habitat. So Don's in the midst of that. We have fisheries biology that's going on here. Dr. Reitz is looking at invasive species and their impacts. Uh, Dr. Michael Chu is a hydrologic modeler doing hydrology. In addition, we have um, an information services center, which does a lot of geospatial studies. Uh, They're looking, this is run by John Cochis, and so we're producing geospatial information for a lot of the elected officials and planning and zoning officials in the state to see how different data layers affect each other. For example, if you wanted to find out where to, where's the best area to do a development, but still minimize the environmental impact, these kinds of geospatial data analyses allow us to do that in a in a way that people can understand and in a way that allows a, a lot of data to be collapsed in an interpretable fashion. Then Bopi Bedanda has got a very interesting project going on. Bopi is a microbial ecologist, and he's found a sinkhole up in Lake Huron at about uh, oh, 90 meters, about 250 feet deep, where water is coming out of the bottom of the lake, and it's got a very unique signature. And so Bopi is going to be studying that in more detail. And then I have a number of research projects as well. Um, one of the things that I'm well, two areas that I'm very focused on right now 
include non-point source pollution, that's the diffuse pollutants that are coming off of our land from our lawns, from our farms, as opposed to pollution coming out of a pipe, which would be a point source. And we're looking at the impacts in the lower Muskegon, in the river, in the wetlands, and in the lake on uh, the effects these nutrients and salt are having in those systems. And then I'm also looking at phosphorus coming out of the sediments in some of our lakes and seeing whether that's stimulating algal blooms as well. That's called internal phosphorus loading, as opposed to the phosphorus coming off the watersheds, which would be external loading. Quite an impressive team you have assembled here. Yeah, I'm very impressed. One of the things that I negotiated with when I came here was that we were able to hire four new principal investigator lines uh, to really expand the research portfolio at the Institute. And some of those names that I just mentioned to you are, are, are those four people, which really increased our capabilities. And also we looked to develop a team, people who wanted to work collaboratively and in a multidisciplinary fashion. We weren't seeking any prima donnas. It was important in a small institute like this, even though we're up to about 70 people altogether, but there are eight principal investigators, that we work well together and that, we, that, that teamwork was really a, a key component of that. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of Muskegon Lake? Well, uh, I don't know if you mean the glacial history or the uh, environmental impacts to the lake. Well, more the, the recent history and some of the impacts when you were talking about environmental and industrial and, you know, maybe the fact that it's really a drowned river mouth rather than a lake and what that is. Well, Jason, I'm impressed with your background information. Uh, along the uh, shore here, the west side of Michigan, we have a series of drowned river mouth lakes. And they're unique in the sense that they start off as rivers, and then they become wetlands before they dump out into the main lake, like Muskegon Lake, Lake Makatawa, Pentwater Lake, uh, all those kinds of uh, systems. And so the wetlands really influence what happens, but a lake like Muskegon Lake is influenced not only by the river coming down, but also by its connection to Lake Michigan, when, because the winds blow from the west, and we'll get Lake Michigan water into Muskegon Lake as well. So it's a very complex system in terms of its hydrodynamics. The lake has a long history of environmental abuse. Uh, back in the 1800s, of course, when we were lumbering uh, throughout this, all the uh, eastern um, the white pine forests, uh, we had a tremendous amount of wood coming down here, a lot of sedimentation, uh, a lot of activity on the lake. And, of course, the lake is influenced by its watershed. So we took a watershed that had a lot of vegetation, and we removed it, and all the sediment started flowing thereafter. So a huge amount of impact there. In the 1900s, the industrial activities came in, the foundries uh, and um, a lot of the factories, and a lot of pollution was discharged directly into the lake. The, the images that we have at the County Museum that Bill Jackson took are, are just alarming when you look at them. In the 70s, uh, we diverted our wastewater. The county built its wastewater management system. And uh, as a consequence, a lot of that uh, discharge is now rerouted up uh, to that system. And we've started to improve the quality of the lake. There are some legacies that are left behind in the sediments uh, that we haven't tackled yet. But actually, if you look at the nutrient concentrations in the lake, they've gotten much better over the last 30 years. So the health of the lake is improving. Uh, in, in my opinion, absolutely. Uh, we do have um, a little bit of debate about that. The Muskegon Lake, as you may know, is one of 42 areas of concern in the Great Lakes. That means it's been designated by the International Joint Commission back in the mid-'80s as one of the most severely polluted lakes uh, in the Great Lakes area. And we are trying to get ourselves delisted for many reasons. Uh, and, of course, the Chamber backs that uh, wholeheartedly. And we have started collecting the scientific information to prove to the Environmental Protection Agency that the lake deserves to be delisted. 
There are, uh, I think, um, nine beneficial use impairments right now. Those are the nine categories that the lake is not meeting its designated uses. And so for some of these, uh, one of which would be nutrient, uh, too many nutrients or eutrophication, I do think we've met that criterion that we need to be delisted. But some people would argue that they, they hold a much higher threshold and that we need to do better. What about the current condition and the future for Lake Michigan? Uh, well, the, the current condition of Lake Michigan in terms of its water quality is quite good if you look at the nutrients. The major problem in Lake Michigan and the Great Lakes as a whole right now are invasive species. Uh, it's affecting the food web, and we're very concerned about what the impacts will be in terms of recreational commercial fishing, fisheries, which will have an economic impact, as well as uh, what it might mean in terms of unintended consequences that we can't possibly predict for the future. Uh, right here in Muskegon Lake, the number one species, fish species in terms of numbers, is the round goby, an invasive species. A tremendous concern that it might be displacing the yellow perch and some of the other uh, fisheries for recreational commercial purposes that Muskegon Lake has thrived with for years. What are some of the outreach programs that you have to try to get the uh, community involved and aware of what's happening down here at the Annis Water Resources Institute? Well, I can think of two off, off the top of my head that are, are good examples, one on the research side and one on the educational side. From the research side, when we first got here uh, back in, in 2001, it struck me that we were not doing any active research on Muskegon Lake. And I thought it was, since this was our home, we're on the lake, it was, it was uh, important, critical, that we start a program to understand the conditions of Muskegon Lake. And to that end, I worked with the Community Foundation for Muskegon County, with the help of Roger Anderson and Bill Schroeder, we put together a committee to do a fundraising campaign to develop an endowment fund to allow us to do long-term monitoring on Muskegon Lake. And so that fund generates a modest amount of money that helps us do that uh, study three times a year. And that fund was opened up to people around community to contribute to. So they had the opportunity to feel some ownership in what was going on in this lake. And we provide uh, every year a report on the, the state of Muskegon Lake based on our monitoring information. In addition, uh, we have two vessels here. Uh, we have many vessels, but two research vessels, the W.G. Jackson and the D.J. Angus. The Jackson is, is moored here in Muskegon at the Institute. The Angus is down in Grand Haven. And both of those vessels run education programs. They're run by Dr. Janet Vale. And each year, uh, somewhere between five and 6,000 students and adults, but mostly students, 4th through 12th graders, will go out on those vessels, and they will learn. They'll have a hands-on laboratory experience learning about uh, either Muskegon Lake here in Lake Michigan or Spring Lake down in Grand Haven and Lake Michigan. They'll go out on the lake if the weather conditions allow. And they'll sample the water. They'll sample the sediments. They'll analyze those samples right in our onboard laboratories, and the students will learn about the most pressing issues facing them. And that's incredible PR. Uh, these kids go through the school systems. I can't tell you how many people I encounter who tell me 20 years ago, 15 years ago, yeah, they were on the Jackson or they were on the Angus, and what a great experience it is. And it, it, it's residual in them. Yeah, I had the opportunity to go out on the Jackson, and it was, uh, it was a wonderful experience, you know, get out there and learn and find out about what's going on in Muskegon Lake and truly was something that I will remember for a long time. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. Thank you. Talk about the importance of doing research here in downtown Muskegon and Grand Valley's investment here in the Muskegon community. 
Well, I, I can tell you, uh, having spent a lot of time, uh, I came in the same time as President Murray, and Mark made it very clear to me when they were trying to recruit me that he believed in uh, the Institute, he believed in our presence here on the lakeshore, and he believed in making sure that Muskegon stays part of the service area of Grand Valley State University. And that investment, uh, his words have been borne out, of course, by the uh, also the creation of Merrick here in Muskegon as well. So uh, Grand Valley does feel invested in this. And, and I should point out, we also have a third arm here in Muskegon, which often goes unnoticed. But at the Stevenson Center for Higher Education at MCC, we're part of that higher education consortium. And Grand Valley has a number of programs that they run there as well. But from a research side, I, I, we, we believe in Muskegon. We do a lot of community service, the, the folks here at the Institute, to try and help Muskegon as it uh, goes through this, this transition to a knowledge-based economy. Uh, we help out on lots of committees. We're trying to build green infrastructure and good environmental practices into the downtown development. The lake, obviously, um, in my opinion, and I, I serve on the Chamber's Community Development Committee, I view the lake as the key for uh, the successful revitalization and renaissance of this town. And we need to connect to the lake. Uh, and in order to do that, we need to make sure that the lake water quality is pr as pristine as possible for an urban lake. So our research is geared to trying to make uh, the lake as, as pristine as possible, helping uh, out on urban revitalization projects, uh, bringing, community, bringing the community uh, back to uh, the stellar state it was back in its past. That's a great example of the marriage between the environment and the economy. And, you know, it's, it's very good to hear that you're taking that active role in being involved with the chamber and what's being done to try to revitalize downtown. Oh, we, we um, you know, it's, it's interesting. The, there is a perception out there that if you are green, uh, environmentally based, that that means you're not pro-development. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. I, I think development's important. I just think it's important that we do it in a smart way. And there are smart ways and there are dumb ways. And uh, it's critical now as we're engaged in a lot of sustainability practices, as that, as that buzzword sustainability seems to get more and more credence, we understand what it means in that we protect our resources not only for current use but for future generations. And that's what we're all about. All right, I'm going to move on to my last question. You have one minute alone with all of Muskegon County, so somehow we got everybody together in one place. Make your pitch to convince everyone here to be more conscious of the water and what they can do to kind of protect our ecosystem. Well, I, I think I don't have to do that cell job in West Michigan because everybody I talk to loves the water. That's one reason why they live here. They want to protect the quality of the water. As I mentioned earlier, the biggest issue facing, uh, facing us from the land-water interface is non-point source pollution. So in that sense, I would encourage people, uh, don't pour things down your storm drains. It goes directly to your lake or your stream. There's no leprechaun underneath your storm drain treating it. <laughs> so when you wash your car, do it on the lawn. When you fertilize your lawn, uh, it, make sure you get the soil tested to see whether you need to add phosphorus because you may have plenty of phosphorus in your soils. So you don't need to add any. If you are going to add fertilizer, don't do it before the predicted rainstorm because it's just going to wash off into your storm drains. So very, uh, very easy practices like that can make a difference. I would argue that if you're an angler, a fisher, um, and you're trailering your boat, make sure you clean your trailer from one lake to another so you're not introducing invasive species from either in your live, uh, your, your live well or um, uh, strands of vegetation on your trailers when you, when you launch your boat again. So 
uh, be very careful and cognizant of what you transport from one system to the next because that's how these invasive species move around from one system to the other. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Steinman. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me. I applaud Grand Valley State University for their partnership with the city of Muskegon. They not only have one, but two world-class research facilities in downtown Muskegon. Along with the Annis Water Resources Institute, GVSU has located the Michigan Alternative and Renewable Energy Center right down the road on Shoreline Drive in Muskegon. These are two facilities doing groundbreaking research in the preservation of freshwater resources and exploration of alternative and renewable energy right here in Muskegon, Michigan. If you refer back to episode number five of the podcast when we interviewed Dr. Iman Mahawili, uh, you can find out more information on Merrick. As I said in the interview, I had the opportunity to go out on the WG Jackson, and if you have the chance to do so, I would highly encourage it. We had a great trip on Muskegon Lake, and you know, even being a longtime resident of Muskegon, the things that I got to see and really learn about Muskegon Lake um, truly made me appreciate it quite a bit more. In addition to the exceptional team they have assembled at the Annis Water Resources Institute and the research they're doing on Muskegon Lake and Lake Michigan, what impressed me most in the interview with Dr. Steinman was the partnership between education and research and the business community. Now, the environment is key to the quality of life that we enjoy in Muskegon, and it's probably the major factor in getting businesses to locate in the area. So I was quite encouraged to see that uh, you know Dr. Steinman was working with the Chamber of Commerce and other economic development groups to ensure that when planning was being done on Muskegon Lake and um, people were concerned about issues with Lake Michigan, that they're kind of working hand in hand. So hats off to them for making that commitment and really being part of the redevelopment of Muskegon. For more information on Grand Valley State University's Annis Water Resources Institute, visit gvsu.edu slash WRI. I want to thank everyone for the listener feedback voicemails that we received this week. I'm going to take a little bit of time here and play back a few of the voicemails. So sit back and enjoy. Hello, Jason. This is Sherry Slater, and I live in Muskegon, and I just want you to know that I really appreciate these podcasts. You ask the questions that I would love to ask and getting the answers that I'm dying to. So um, you're interviewing the right people. And um, this is something I love telling people about as well. So keep up the good work. Love your energy. Love your dedication to this whole Muskegon project. And um, it's exciting. You do good work for the city. And thank you for this. It's it's great. I love it. I wait for it on Monday. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hello, Jason. My name is Orville, and I'm from Muskegon. First, I'd like to say that I listen to all your podcasts. They give me a better understanding of Muskegon and the people that live here. It's wonderful to see all the positive things happening in the area. I know that there are hundreds of people working hard to make Muskegon a better place, like Judy Hayner. Many of them are volunteers. Add that to all the positive economic news, and Muskegon continues its upward spiral. I appreciate Judy's passion for her job. This podcast reminded me that I can do a better job at appreciating and supporting this wonderful local treasure. And I will. Jason, this is Lynn in North Muskegon. Just wanted to let you know I'm enjoying the podcast broadcast. I find them a convenient format to gain knowledge and insight and stay abreast of what's going on in our community. Thank you for taking the initiative to set this up. 
I look forward to your future presentations. Bye. Thank you once again, everyone, for leaving the voicemails. We got some great feedback there, as you could hear, and I appreciate people taking the time to call in. Now, for those of you who might want to call in and leave a voicemail on this episode or upcoming episodes, the number to dial is 231-354-2332. When dialing, be sure to include the 1 and 231 and leave your first name and the city you live in in the message. Remember, you can still post messages to the website, too. So uh, please do so, and I'll read the best website comments and play the most interesting voicemails each week. That brings us to the conclusion of episode number 13 of Inside Muskegon. For more information, visit our website at InsideMuskegon.com. Inside Muskegon is produced by Jeremy Sear. For Inside Muskegon, I'm Jason Pisecki. Feedback is welcome at Jason at InsideMuskegon.com. This has been Inside Muskegon, the podcast featuring Jason Pisecki. Feedback is welcome at InsideMuskegon.com.